If you'd like to be turning to the book of Hebrews, in chapter 6, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 12. Before we read it, John Piper said this before preaching on this particular passage. He said, there's a big difference between being serious and being sad. The opposite of sad is happy, but the opposite of serious is glib or joking. So you can be serious and happy at the same time. In fact, C.S. Lewis said, so now I'm quoting John Piper quoting C.S. Lewis, There is a kind of happiness and wonder that makes you serious. Then John Piper continued, Everybody knows the difference between what a comedian makes us feel and what a friend who lays down his life for us makes us feel. And most people know the difference between a day at Disney World and a day at the Grand Canyon. Or a day at Alton Towers. And a day in the Scottish or Welsh mountains. Or the English mountains. It seems to me that the book of Hebrews has a special way of making us serious. It's a very sobering book. But it's not a sad book, but it is a serious book. And if you hear what it says, it blows away glib, trite, trivial attitudes about life. But it doesn't do so to make us sad, but to make us unshakably happy in God. I quote that at the beginning because I think Today, Hebrews is a serious book, and this is a serious passage. And so it's a day, perhaps for our attitudes to be challenged, but it's a day of drawing and pressing in closer to him, a day for drawing into the joy of God, of knowing him, of being in him. It's serious, but it's not sad. A day of grasping all the more the wonder of the truth of our foundation in Christ. So let's read the passage, chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it's farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. 
So we pick up where we left off last time when we were looking in Hebrews. You see, the writer's been exhorting the Hebrews, look, you should have gone on from here. You should have, you should have matured by now. Look, you still need milk. You still need the basic truths expounded to you again. Why are you wobbling? Why are you, why are you struggling to grasp this secure, solid foundation? Why are you, why are you still there? By now you should be teachers and yet you still need milk. And he goes on, picking up there. He doesn't carry on giving them more milk. He says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. And all he does is outline this foundation again. He reminds them, what is your foundation in Christ? Let's move on from these elementary teachings. Let's be secure in it so we can build. And he just reminds them. Gently. And he probably outlines them in a particularly relevant way to them. Probably picking up from these guys, they're Jews, they've come through, they've been uh, in the synagogue, they've grown up as Jews and they've come to know Jesus. So he picks up on specifically familiar themes to them. But they're familiar to us too in, in Christ. Repentance, faith in God. And he talks about washings or ceremonial cleansing rites. The laying on of hands of resurrection and of judgment. And particularly his point is that the truth about these, they've ultimately become your firm foundation in Christ. These are the elementary teachings about Christ. Let's look at them quickly. Repentance. He talks about repenting from works that lead to death. They would have been, they would have understood this even as, even before they came to know Christ. They would have understood actually, yes, we've, we came with sacrifices and we repented. But this is the truth that we repent from our rebellion against God. We turn away from our way, from our path, our, our way of going about things and turning to Him, to Jesus. We're saved by His grace through, as He goes on, faith in God, through faith. As Ephesians 2 verse 8 tells us, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, but it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Then he outlines talking about these, these two things. Instructions about cleansing rites and the laying on of hands. And he's, he's getting in, look, remember now you have been washed clean by the blood that's been shed once for all. He talks about that in chapter 9. He's going to go on and talk more about uh, these ceremonial washings that went on, these different rites and, and, and things that they had to do under the law. And now you've been baptized into Christ. You've been filled with his spirit. He goes on to talk about laying on of hands. Not just as maybe previously for a few set apart as leaders who would, they would have seen having hands laid on. We still want... We still. We still do that. We see that. Actually, there's, 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 there's a point in laying on hands to, to set people into particular roles. But now he's poured out his spirit on all flesh. This is what you receive by the laying on of hands. And he talks about resurrection and judgment. Remember, guys, you've been raised with Christ. 
You've been raised with Christ, as Romans 6 verse 4 reminds us. We were buried, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And he reminds me that there is judgment to come. But as he will go on to say, yes, everyone will face judgment, but in Christ we have a great unswerving hope of eternal redemption. You see that in chapter 9, verse 12, and an internal, internal, eternal inheritance. A few verses on in 9, verse 15. He just lists them. It's a reminder. Look, guys, you know this truth. You know this. This is the salvation that you know in Christ. Don't go back. Don't go anywhere else. Stand firm on it. Don't waver. Don't wobble. Press on. For us too, his message is, let's move on to maturity. Standing firm. Standing firm on what? This foundation. This foundation he doesn't want to have to relay again. He doesn't want to have to... Relay, he's expressed it in this brief summary. This foundation that's ultimately brought about in the person of Jesus Christ. Through his blood, through his sacrifice, through his grace in which we stand. Because, to be honest, this has been his cry throughout the early chapters of Hebrews. Stand firm on this foundation. It echoes through. We see the foundation particularly expressed in chapter 2. And let's look at it because it draws us back to Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 9 and verse 10. We see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. We see Jesus, the one who tasted death so that we don't have to. We see the one that God saw fit to see him, the perfect one, made to be our perfect sacrifice through suffering. So that many sons may be brought to glory. As he goes on in chapter 2, verse 14, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He's broken the power of the devil. He set us free. That passage in Ephesians that I just quoted one verse of, chapter two, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, tells us beautifully how we once were dead and now we're alive in Christ. Chapter two, Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I'll stop there. The writers of the Hebrew, this is, this is what he's talking about. Stand firm on this foundation. This foundation, I don't, I'm not going into it in detail now. I'm not gonna, you know this truth. This is where you're stood. We've heard it throughout the worship time already. We're in Christ. He's completely changed our identity and now we're in Him. If we know Him, and that is our, that is the truth, that we've come into a place where we are in Christ. Where once we were dead, now we're alive in him. You may have seen what I think Mark Willoughby posted on the Facebook page. That, that, that little clip of Don Carson talking about, this is the ground for our assurance. This is the foundation. This is, this is what we stand on. Not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith. It all comes back to Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about him that we are stood on, that we're stood in. I have no other argument. I need no other plea than that Christ died and he died for me. As he concludes. So what's his point? You're, you have this solid, secure foundation. This is the truth. This is where you stand. This is where you are. If you're in him, you are secure. And so, stand firm. So stand firm. Your foundation is that you're in Christ. You're born again, as 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 1.23 reminds us. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Washed clean by his blood. We're secure. Philippians 1 verse 6. He, be, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And in 2 Corinthians 5, we have been made new. We have been made new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And right here in this, in the next passage here, we have Hebrews 6.19. We have this hope as an anchor to the soul, firm and secure. He reminds them of their secure foundation. He doesn't go into details here. He's saying, look guys, remember. Remember, this is where you're stood. This is where you are. This is who you are in Christ. Stand firm. Press on. Go on to maturity. And then the stark warning hits. Verse 4. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. It's a stark, stark warning. But a warning that rather than causing us fear, is one that should drive us deeper in standing firm on the wonderful solid ground that is Jesus Christ. Our secure foundation. That's why he's just reminded them again. In bringing them to this point, he wants to grow their understanding of how good, how vital it is to be in Christ. 
All through so far, he's not been slow to talk of the consequences of of not being in Christ. As he focused on the Israelites in chapter 3. Talks about, don't be like them. Don't be. Let me go there. He quotes back. Today, if he's quoting the Psalms, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Don't do like they did. Stand firm. Don't, don't turn away. He's bringing them to a serious point. But we read this and we see it and we think, oh, our immediate thought, oh, what's he saying? What's he saying? Can I lose my salvation? It stops us in our tracks. It makes us think, what does he mean? And as from the Piper quote at the beginning, it blows away our glib, trite, trivial attitudes about life, about salvation, about, about being in Christ, about Jesus, about this is, this is who we're following. It challenges our attitudes. Is he saying, can I, that you, our immediate thought can go to, can I lose it? What, we can go into fearful mode. Can I lose it? Is it, is that what he's saying? Is it, is it that if I mess up, then I could be out? Is he apparently contradicting verses like Philippians 1-6, that God will, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion? Or Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. As Rachel prayed earlier. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Is he casting doubt on on any kind of solid ground? No, he's challenging our attitudes. He's challenging our attitude. We're not playing a game. We're not picking and choosing. We're not saying, oh, that sounds good to me just now. I'm coming in. Oh, this is, this is good. In our Western materialistic, com- consumeristic society, so easily a kind of tick box understanding of the gospel can creep in. Maybe not intentionally. Not, it's not what we're, we're thinking of doing, but for example, we can read John 3.16 so flippantly, unintentionally maybe. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in me should not die, but have eternal life. And think, I'm being deliberately extreme Oh, that sounds like a good deal. Where do I sign up? I'll tick the box. I'm sorted. Great. Give me my ticket. I'll put it on the shelf. It's a good deal for me. I can sign up. I can get my place. I better remember that. That's good. It's there. Do you see? Like we've, we've ticked the box and we've said, okay, right, that's done. As if it's just a kind of external thing of, I need a ticket for heaven, so I'll have it. I'll put it on the shelf. 
the writer's pulling us back. As Dan prayed earlier, we've, we've had our identity changed. We, we've been brought into something. We've not, we've not got a ticket on a shelf. We've not got something that we've just said, okay, that's good. I'll sign up. I've opened my account. Here it is. Well, maybe that account could get closed down. No. An attitude that can lead us to see these messages in Hebrews and elsewhere. Press on. Make every effort. Stand firm. And come and think, why? Do I need to? Could I get away with not doing? Oh, could I really lose something? Look here, the writer is challenging that attitude so strongly. Look, guys, see the actual, the real truth of that particular verse I just quoted. Whoever, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. If we believe in him, we come in, he gives us new birth. He gives us life in him. He sets us free to be in Christ. He's not given us a ticket to put on a shelf. He's made us new creations. He's begun a good work in us that he will carry on to completion. I've said a prayer. I call myself a Christian. I come along. I've ticked the box. No. Are you in Christ? Are you in him? To the, to the Hebrews, he was saying, he was challenging, why are you thinking of going back to the synagogue? Why are you, why are you even considering this idea? I know it's hard. I know they've got some, <laughs> yeah, as we stood in a synagogue. <laughs> Thanks for that laugh, Rory. I got that one. Why are you, why are you considering going back to the old ways? Why? Don't you realize you have the hope? The true hope, the only hope that's in Christ. He's given you life. If we're looking through our, our through a wrong attitude, we can come to think of this warning as, can he take my ticket back? Could he close down my account? I've got my passport, but I can't get in. If I get it wrong. Our eyes get drawn off where they should be. But actually, the more we focus on the truth, we fix our thoughts on Jesus. We fix, we stand firm on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. That is the truth that he has brought us in to a new life. Not deliberating, oh, well, if I did, if I did turn away, if I was doing that, then, well, what would that mean then if I was doing it? No! Turn away! Turn away! From my Jesus, from my Savior, from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who, who though in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing for us. Turn away. How could I do it? Not arrogantly. Not, this isn't an arrogant boast of, well, I could never do it. No. But, uh, but could we take ourselves to that point? 
I've seen him. I know him. I've come into relationship with him. I'm standing in him. How could I do it? How could I turn away from him? And the truth is, it's not because I couldn't do it. But in him, I've been born again. I am a new creation and he who began a good work in me will see it through to completion. But the author's challenging our attitude. Are we looking at this and saying, fearful, what could it be? Um, uh, I thought it was a done deal. Or are we seeing, look, this is our God. This is Jesus. How could, why would we even, even be getting close to the point of thinking, well, I could go off and I could go back to the synagogue, couldn't I? What? What? I had a bit of this experience this week looking at this passage. You look at it first and oh, you start thinking, what does this mean? And then just overwhelmed by the wonder of what Jesus has done. The wonder of who he is. It was this feeling of Oh, I have truly, we've been enlightened. We've tasted of the heavenly gift. We've shared in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Oh, how could I turn away from that? Where else could we go? As the disciples said. How could we turn away? And then as we focus more and more on him, on, on, as we fix our thoughts on Jesus, we understand the cries of the writer to press on, to go on to maturity, to stand firm. Rather than, why? I don't need to. Isn't it grace? Make an effort. No. It's, of course. Of course I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on into this glorious truth, into this Jesus who is so Incredible and amazing, my wonderful saviour. We sing, like we sung earlier, on that day when my strength is failing. The end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. There's an encouragement. Press in. Press in to him. His, his objective isn't to scare the Hebrews into dutifully sticking around. Well, you know, if you go away. But to be drawn deeper into standing firm. Look at what you have come into. Look at what you've come into. Look at your saviour. See how incredible he is. Do you think you understand it? We'll press in a bit further. But in saying that, we cannot dismiss the warning. In Christ, we're called to press on, to press into him, to keep going, to stand firm. He tells us in chapter 3. This is the truth. 
chapter 3, verse 14, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. We press on, because in doing so, we show that we have been brought in to his kingdom. We show that he is doing a work in us, and he is completing it. He is bringing us on to the end. But the writer of the Hebrews still talks of those who will fall away. In some way, they've been enlightened. They've come to know something of the truth. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've experienced something of the Holy Spirit. And yet they fall. He uses an analogy to explain it. Read verse, we'll read verse 7 and 8. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it's farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. And in the end, it will be burned. The writer points to a field or two fields that receive the rain, that receive all the, the stuff that they're... All that nutrients and everything they need to see the seed grow. And one field produces a crop and the other field seems that nothing happens but thorns and thistles grow. He points towards the fact it's possible to be in and around church meetings. It's possible to hear the truth. It's possible to experience so, so much. To outwardly be part of all that is going on. Yet ultimately, like that field, to have a heart that is unchanged. To not truly be in Christ. To not be born again. And then, as he points to it, for whatever reason, when trouble comes or challenge or possibly just an easy time of life, they can fall away. And the warning is stark. Talks of getting to a point of it being impossible to be brought back. He's already warned before, don't let your hearts be hardened. Chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That's what he then says, be encouraged one another daily. As long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He's pointed towards our security in Christ. And so in a sense, the answer is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? As we look at this passage, there's... There's one message, effectively, press on in him. Press on in him. If we are in Christ, if we are, if we know, we know that we know him, then his call is go deeper. Go deeper into him. Know the security of that foundation. Know that you stand in him. Know more of the wonder of your saviour. Read and see and understand, look how vital, how wonderful, how awesome, how how brilliant it is 
We have no other hope. There is nothing else but in Christ. We're brought in to life. Where once we were dead, now we're alive. And in pressing into him, we throw off any trivial understanding, any trivial glib attitude of, I've got my ticket. I'm, I'm on the train. I better not lose that. Stand firm. Understand the joy of knowing Christ. Press in to the, the wonder. That wonder, yeah, as John Piper was talking about, it's not like going to see a comedian, but it's a joy. It's not just a glib, a, a jokey happiness. It's, it's a deep joy of understanding Christ died for me. Christ died for you. And now, press on in that solid foundation. And the writer is speaking to a group. But as he goes on in, in verse 9, for whom he believes better things. He believes, his hope is that they are all pressing on. They are going to press on. They are believers that they are going to stand firm. But he's probing. He wants to be sure. He doesn't want any to be left behind or left out or, or to fall away. And his warning reveals to us that it's possible to be present. And not to be fully in him. So the question this morning is, do you know him? Do you know him? If you don't, I believe God would call you. He's calling different ones today. Be born again. Come fully in. Understand. Be truly enlightened to this is Jesus. This is the wonderful, awesome saviour. The only hope for the world. You can know him today. You can come in. You can stand firm on this solid rock. And in saying that, it may be your first week here. Or you may have been with us for years. And in a sense, it could feel embarrassing. What will people think? But I encourage you to throw off anything that would hold you back. If you... Because this is Jesus. This is vital. This is salvation. This is eternity. This is our God. Who has made a way for us to be lifted out from all the mess and mire that was our sinful selves. Be made new, to be made new in Him. So that's the call for us. Press on in Him. Understand, know it. Know this wonderful truth. As He assumes, as He as He knows the Hebrews know. You know this foundation. Stand firm in it. But there is the call. Do you know Him? Do you truly know Him? If not, you can know him today. Let's pray.